All right, so we are in the Christmas series called Hymns of Hope. Please join me joining. I've been actually super enjoying the Hymns of Hope series. So if you are new, if this is your first time here, we want to welcome you. We have some uh, uh, family from uh, that's just moved here from um, Hawaii. So they're back there in the back. We just want to say Melakalikimaka to you guys. And um, so you never, we never get to say that for like real. So, but and we have other first time guests as well. We want to thank you for being here. I just wanted to say that out loud and in front of people. Um, so anyway, so uh, we want to welcome you guys. Everybody that's first time guests, we welcome you as well. So, um, so we've been in the middle of our, our series. And we've done just gone through different hymns that uh, we sing during Christmas time, and we. Uh, and we just uh, we've been talking about some of the theology and all the all the stuff that surrounds um, the hymns that we sing. And so um, I'm going to talk about the person who wrote this. Uh, next, we're going to talk about joy to the world. Today is the advent of joy this morning. So uh, so Isaac Watts is actually the writer of um, joy to the world. He was born in Southampton in southern England. He was born to a nonconformist. That means he was not associated with the Church of England. So he was kind of a rebel, right? I like him already. <laughs> like something about that. It is the Southern in me, right? And the American. We did rebel against, you know, I mean, it's the thing. So, um, so yeah. So, yeah. But being from the South, it, it's a whole nother level. So, um, so it's, it speaks to me. Um, so being associated, uh, not being associated, he was, his dad was actually jailed two times for, uh, for his beliefs. So actually, so Isaac Watts actually took after his father and became a non-conform and, and joined his kind of non-conformist ways as well. And he went to an independent uh, Bible college, and that's where he got his um, biblical education. And so the thing about Isaac Watts is he wrote, a, um, he had a knack like at, at an early age for poetry. And so this is one of the poems that they wrote. He says he was written when he was seven years old. Look at this. This is seven, Right. I am a vile, polluted lump of earth, so I've continued ever since my birth. Although Jehovah's grace doth daily give me, as sure as this monster Satan will deceive me. Amen. Come, therefore, Lord, from Satan's cause, relieve me, wash me in thy blood, O Christ, and give grace uh, divine in part. Then search and try the concerns of my heart, that I may in all things may be fit to do service to thee and praises to you. Like seven years old. Another thing, but here's another part of this. Look at the next one. So actually, this is an acrostic. Isaac Watts. It's amazing. Like this guy was out, like like off the chart, um, insane, off the chart, insanely smart. I know. Like, I know. I know. I was really young when I wrote my first acrostic too. So he actually wrote a book of poems. Um, in, in 1719, "A Joy to the World" was one of those one of those poems. He's actually known for 600 hymns, kind of the father of modern um, hymns. Not modern, modern back then. Like most of the hymns, a lot of the hymns are started because of his heart to write um, hymns. And then about a hundred years later, um, another guy put them to music into what we know today. Actually, "Joy to the World" is one of the most published um, Christmas songs that there is that we that we have today. Um, it was inspired by, um, Isaac Watts says this psalm, this um, song was inspired by Psalm 98. And I'll just go ahead and read it. It says, sing a new song to the Lord, for he has performed wonders by his right hand and holy arm. Uh, by, excuse me, by, uh, by his right hand and holy arm has won the victory. 
The Lord has made his victory known. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his love and faithfulness to the house of Israel, and all the earth have seen God's victory. Let the whole earth shout uh, to, to the Lord. Be jubilant, shout for joy, and sing. Sing to the Lord with the lyre, and with the lyre, the melodious songs. With trumpets and blast the ram's horn, shout triumphantly. In the presence of the Lord our King, let the sea and all that is that fills it, the world and all who live in it, resound. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord. He is coming to judge the earth, and he will judge the world righteously for the, and the peoples fairly. So, um, so yeah, so that's where he, this, this idea for this song came from. And so I hate to do this to you on Christmas, but I'm about to bust another tradition of Christmas. Is that okay? We've already talked, we talked about the wise men. But the wise men weren't really at the manger. You know, we talked about that. And like, bust everybody's manger scene and all that. So I'm going to bust this song up a little bit. Because this song is not a Christmas song. Yeah. This song is a second coming song. This song is a second Advent song. It is the Advent that we are in hope for. So controversy has arisen at Hope Church. So we are going to bust the whole thing all up for you this morning about this song, Joy of the World. So actually the world, the word Advent that we, that we, we celebrate every year is, has to do, it means the arrival. So it's actually, it's actually this trifold meaning of his arrival in Bethlehem, his arrival into our own hearts, his arrival and his arrival coming again. So this is the, the reason that we do Advent. Actually, the, the, the idea of Advent incorporates all those ideas as well. So let me just read, in the light of this being a second coming song, let me read the words again. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. This is a, this is a past tense idea that somebody is saying from the heaven side, right? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, wild fields and floods, rock hills and plains, repeat the sounding joy. No more let sin and sorrows grow. There's going to be a day. There's going to be a day. Let no more sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. For he rules the world with truth and grace, and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. This is the promise that we can expect that one day, all the things that we see, God is going to make right. And we are going to have a righteous king. You know, I think about the stories that we love, right? Think about the story of, um, uh, uh, of Cinderella, right? So here's this noble young girl who's discarded and kind of thrown to the side. and But she's like just pure of heart because like evidently animals come and sing to her and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, maybe she's there, but, um, but um, like, so, so there's this pure and noble girl, right? And there's this the wicked stepmother and all this wickedness and bad and terrible. And then there's this noble prince, right? Who's, um, who's they don't, I don't want to just have somebody just pick. I'm going to choose a noble, a noble you know, a righteous kind of guy. And he, and he finds Cinderella and doesn't, 
really, it doesn't matter that um, her clothes are full of cinder and she's at a lowly place. He chooses her, right? And he puts her by her side. Man, this, I don't know if you know, Cinderella is such a Jesus uh, reconciliation story, right? Of the king coming to this lonely, lowly girl and restoring her and making her what she was always meant to be. Good, good. You should watch stories in the light of your understanding of Jesus, right? So this idea, but this noble girl comes alongside this noble prince, and they rule, and they reign, and, and, and um, I was going to say all things work together for good. No, no, that's the scripture. And they lived happily ever after. Right? But it sounds the same, right? You know, and then there's the story of the Lord of the Rings with Aragorn, noble. You know, he's not like he is in the, he's built, in the book. He's like this noble, knows who he is, king. And when he gains the throne, he rules with this, this honor and integrity. You know why we love those stories? Because they're our story. Those, those cries of our heart, it's our story. That this baby that's born in this manger will be the king. He is the king and will and shall be. He is the king and shall be and, and shall to come be the king. And one day he will sit on the earth, on the throne, and he will judge the nations, and he in righteousness will reign. That cry in our heart for things to be good. You know, they, they said, make America great again. You know what Jesus is going to do? He's going to make the earth Eden again. God is going to restore all things to his right standing, right? And make all things new. Isn't that awesome? So it's the, it's the the stories that we know, this is thing, this is cry of our hearts, right? So when you think about the, the cry of the, the, the song, um, what's the song we just sang? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. That cry of the heart, right? Of the cry of like, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel. That same cry that the, that the Israelites of old, right? The same cry is our cry for things to be made right. And for the king to sit on the throne. And I mean, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be um, all the good things, all the things that we hope for, all the things that we strive for will be taken care of in a moment. So the things that Jesus will fix, this baby that we, we celebrate that's born in Bethlehem, this, the things that Jesus will fix, corruption, the corruption of any human-led government, the suffering defining of people defining right and wrong under their own terms. This upside-down world that the enemy has created. Well, good things are bad and bad things are good. And, of the, and the destruction that it causes in the lives of people. And the suffering that goes along with it. Sickness and disease. The pains of broken relationships. And dealing with the devil and his stupid minions. Be all over and done. No more sorrows, failures, fears, dangers, wars, death, natural disasters, gossips, injustices, and taxes. Amen. No more redoing your health care every single year. <laughs> Sorry, it was... I'm just, well, I'm, when I'm pausing, it's because I'm not going to say anything else that I'm thinking right now. 
Revelation, we should just go to Scripture. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. I mean, excuse me, Revelation 21 and verse 1. Thank you. It said, Then I saw a new heaven and earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the, th- from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. Come on. Come, Lord Jesus. And he will live with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. It's this thing we we strive for and hope for and sometimes vote for. It's all going to be revealed in the person of Jesus at the end of all things. Some with a shout from heaven, right? With a trumpet blast. It's the inner cry. The whole earth. So how does that affect us today? So what is the result of knowing that there will be a day where all this trouble and sorrow will cease. Like, what is, what is our takeaway? How then shall we live, as Scripture would tell us? Number one, don't be discouraged by trouble. This puts trouble in a whole different perspective. When you live in the light of eternity, trouble just doesn't bother you as much anymore. Yeah, it's, 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 it's troublesome, right? You know that the troubles won't last forever. And the injustices won't last forever. You don't simply, you'll, you'll, it'll help you not give up. This should change the way we see life as believers. Listen to 2 Corinthians. I have a lot of scripture. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. Watch this. For our momentary, my wife, one of my wife's favorite scriptures. For our momentary light affliction. That's what the scripture calls what you're going through right now. And think about this through all of time. So think about this during World War II. As the, as he called it your momentary light affliction. But, and compared to the exceeding is producing for us an absolute incomparable weight of, of glory. For we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what we see, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He calls the things that we go through in the light of eternity, he calls them, oh, they temporary light afflictions. You didn't have the week I had, Paul. But maybe Paul saw something that we don't see. Maybe Paul had a reality that we don't have. That it is a temporary light affliction. A momentary light affliction until we see the eternal weight of his glory. Like, so that means like when we look, when we, when we get there, right? When the joy to the world and the Lord has come, has, has arrived and we're in heaven and we're all like, hey, let's have a whole church reunion. And we're all like high-fiving everybody going, man, it happened. My faith is giving way to sight. I see Jesus. Like he's there, right there, guys, look. Like David, look, he's there. Like, like seriously. And we, and we, and then somebody goes, "Oh, what if, 
what about like COVID? They're like, what? <laughs> Compared to this? Like see things through the eyes of eternity. See things through the eyes of when you're going through difficult times. Yes, God is in the midst of you. And yes, God will deliver you and, and sustain you and all those things. But remember, this is a momentary life compared to the weight of the glory of God that we will see. Paul goes on and talks about the body that we live in. This is really good news for a lot of us. He says, we'll put off this tent and get a new one. Woo! Evidently, calories don't work like they did in heaven because we're going to have a big feast of a bunch of good, rich stuff. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And verse 6 says, so we are always confident and know that while we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by his faith and not by, and not by sight. In fact, we are confident that we prefer to be away from this body and be home with the Lord. <laughs> Amen, Paul. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that we each one will be repaid for what, oh my goodness, now it's getting messy. And give, so we repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Yeah, I kind of baited you for that one. Because the reality is, how does this affect us today? Because there is a judgment coming. And there is a reckoning coming. And there is a where all of your works, whether good or evil, or good or bad, will be um, accounted for, evaluated, right? You'll have the ultimate, like, um, like uh, end of the year, what do you call this thing? Yeah, your performance evaluation for your job, right? That this says that, um, I read this in one of my commentaries. It says, whatever our ministry from God, it is sobering to note that each one of us, uh, uh, excuse me, let me read that again. It is sobering to note that what each one of us has done will one day be manifest at the judgment seat of Christ. Now listen, this isn't a salvation issue. This is an evaluation issue. So the Bible says that we're going to be, we're going to be judged by every even idle word. And so in this, and, and, I'm all, and, and yes, God's grace and is amazing, and I'm not talking about salvation. Again, hear me. But understand, we will be made account for what we do. And everything that's not of God, all this stuff that we build up, everything that we find, you know, I don't care how many, how many followers you have on TikTok. Like all of that work will be washed away and burned up as wood, hay, and stubble, unless you used it for kingdom purposes. Like at, you, you realize like at the end of the age, like that's the only thing that will matter. His name escapes me, but I always remember the illustration that he did, and we actually did it here where he has all this rope, tons of rope. What's his name? Francis Chan. Just be, if you want to be challenged, Listen a little bit of Francis Chan. <laughs> Letters to the Church is a very interesting book if you want to be challenged. Uh, anyway, I have a lot of books if you really want to be challenged. But he, he has this like huge rope, big rope, goes on forever, I don't know, 100 feet of rope. And he, and he tied, uh, he painted like little blue section right here 
on the very end of it. And he said, here is your life. This on, on, our, on, our, little, on our big blue marble that we live on. Here's our life that we live here. And what we do here counts for the rest of the road of eternity. What we do in this little moment that God has given us, the breath that we've been given on a daily basis. And this is, unfortunately, if I can just be honest, a message that the church has kind of lost. What we do on this earth will matter for eternity. We, there is, listen, this is not communism. God is a rewarder. There is a reward. There is a reward. The scripture has all kind of teachings on the martyr's reward. What you do for children, right? A reward. There's different rewards all through scriptures. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And this is not the, it, it, should, it should say, so Paul says, hey, live with purpose. Live with eternity in mind. Like um, Julie and I, we say it uh, to each other, like that at the end of the day, like God, God is going to hold me accountable for how I treated his daughter. Ever think about that? When you think about your spouse, that's not just your spouse. That's his kid. And so how do I treat his kid? What do you think about people when they mistreat your kid? Hmm. I mean, so how, how I treat her matters to God. How I treat my coworkers. I mean, they're church people, so that's kind of... Do I? Do I? Excellent, excellent, excellent. Yes, yes, good. Okay, good. Woo! How you treat your coworkers matter, right? How you treat those who are quote-unquote under you if you're a boss, right? How you treat your employer. Ouch. Like it all matters, how we treat one another. And then Paul concludes with this idea. It says, so then, understand that how you live, live like you're an ambassador for the king. I am an ambassador for Christ. I live because I I live my life to mirror God. When an ambassador goes overseas, right? He represents the country that he's sent from. I am an ambassador for he- from heaven. And I'm, my life is supposed to honor and represent the kingdom that I came from. And so that's my job. And then he, he adds this idea where he says, so as an ambassador of Christ, I plead with you. As though God pleads through me. Hey, world, be reconciled with God. Listen, this isn't that you're a sinner, bad, bad you, bad you, bad this, bad activity, bad that, bad that. This is a, hey, hey world, it's destruction. We talked about it last week, the death brings, I mean, sin brings death, and we see it everywhere we go. It's the, it's the, you talk about policies, it's the policies of the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy from you. Brings death and destruction through stuff when we define right and wrong in our own way. And so Paul says, listen, be reconciled back to God. 
Stop going about it your own way. Bend your knee to the king, world, right? You hear the pleading of Paul on the inside. In light of eternity, Paul says. This is the whole thought that he's writing here in this text. Of listen, live in the light of eternity. Like the baby that was born in the manger. He began a thing that carries through us to the world that will ultimately lead, lead to his enthronement. We all bow our knee to him. And it matters what we do. It matters, church, it matters how we live in the light of the little baby that was born in Bethlehem. Because that was the first advent. We eagerly await the second. But we stay busy. <laughs> Amen. I love there was a bumper sticker one time. It said, it says, Jesus is coming back. Look busy. That's a great, that's high theology right there. That's some good theology. Listen, Jesus is coming back. Look busy. Right? I love it. I love it. But also, on a lighter note, we need to remember this. That one day we will sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Revelations 22, verse 1. And then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the city's main street, the tree of life was on the side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Don't the nations need healing? And there will no longer be any curse. Amen. Amen. No more curse. What the, and all that relo- relates to the curse will be no more. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His and his name will be on their forehead. That's wild. Night will be no more. People will not need the, the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun. Because God, excuse me, because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. That is our destiny, people of God. That is our hope. You know, most of the time when, when, the, the writers of the, uh, of especially Paul, when he writes of the, the eternal hope, this is what he's talking about. That this is not going to be like this forever. And justice is not going to reign forever. You should have hope this morning. This is not the end of your story. Those people, and Paul goes further in, was it Second Second Thessalonians? I think it's second. That where he talks about, hey, he said, don't even mourn those who sleep. In Christ, we don't mourn like we don't. Not even in death do we mourn like the world mourns. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? So this idea that we will reign and rule with Him, that Eden will be restored. Now understand, uh, Julie actually was given the opportunity to go and speak at the Hope Center, um, the Bible study at the Hope Center was awesome. 
awesome blessing. She did such a good job. Do you understand that like this is the story of the Bible? The, the story isn't just man sin, Jesus came, and, and um, now you're saved. That's not the whole story. The story is God always wanted to be with his people. Sin intervened. And one day, God will dwell with his people again. And the curse will be gone, far as the curse is found. The curse will be done away with. And you will be with your God. He will be our God, and we will be his people. Heaven and earth restored. Isn't that amazing? So I want you to be joyful this morning, church. We win. Hey, listen, we win. We are on the victory side. Amen. When all things will be made right, injustices will be done away with. The curse, done. Let's all stand together. Man, I'm done early. How about that? Eric, come on up.